Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the Word of God. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your holy inspired word. Write its truth on everyone who hears it this day. And in this be glorified, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. What we have before us from chapter 5, verse 11, through to chapter 6, verse 12, is something of a pause, a pause in the argument, the argument being Jesus is the great high priest. We have access to him, and the writer wants us to understand that and live in the good of it. But these verses before us are a pause, and it's quite a pause. And here's where we're going. As a general principle, it's fair to say that given a healthy diet, given good nutrition, all living things grow concerning the stages of physical growth for both girls and boys. We have what we call growth markers in terms of time markers. We can say after three months, a baby, a healthy baby should be about here. They should weigh about this. They should have this kind of length between their head and their toes. We have growth markers. They should be a certain weight and height at a certain time. That's true wherein they're in the former uh, years of uh, just being born and a few months into their life on planet Earth, or else they're two, three, five, eight, and onwards, we have growth markers. As a baby grows to the uh, toddler stage, and then on into the teenage years, and then on to full mature adults, we chart the progress to make sure that all is developing according to a pattern, according to the plan. And actually, it's something of a tragedy when that doesn't occur. We have a term for this. We call it arrested development. When a certain boy or girl is not where the markers say they should be and are lagging far behind, we think it's a tragedy and we have cause for concern. And the doctors often will come to find out what is happening and why and seek to find a remedy. Now, a lot could be said about that. I'm not going to go further into that. But I think enough has been said to understand that we can grasp the concept. Arrested development, stilted growth, it's not a good thing. The point of stunted growth is that it doesn't just occur in the physical realm. It's something that could be true emotionally. It's something that can be true spiritually, and that's the point the writer is making here. There's a, spirit, a spiritual condition, and we could call it arrested development. And here, in this passage, the writer of 
Hebrews has made an assessment about the people he's writing to, and he brings a scolding charge. And it's this. By now, you should be grown up, and you're not. And you're living in perpetual infancy. It's way past time for you to grow up. That's the message. And it's not an easy message to hear. It's certainly not an easy message for anyone to preach. As you look ahead at me, if we're talking about you, just look straight ahead. No one will know we're talking about you. I hope you're laughing. (laughs) But this is the inspired Word of God, and this is where we are as we're in the book of Hebrews. And this is how the writer does it. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. He says, about this, he writes, about this we have much to say. And that this is a reference to the previous verse where... It's uh, outlining the role of Melchizedek and his priesthood. And the writer has much to say about this. But then he says this, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. In other words, I've got much I want to say. There's much to say. And the message is, you're not ready for this. You're not ready to hear it. You should be. You should be ready by now, but you're not. And the problem is not the subject matter. The problem is you. Just look right ahead. There you go. The problem is you. You are dull of hearing. Literally, the words mean sluggish in the ears. You're spiritually dull. You're lethargic. You're lazy. You're sluggish. You're spiritually immature. And you're not able to grasp what I'm wanting to tell you. You're not able to grasp it even if I tried. Now, here's the good news. There is good news here. In chapter 7, he gets to this. He talks or he writes about Melchizedek. So we're not reading something and think, well, I just wish I knew what he was going to say, and he didn't say it. He gets to say it, but he starts off by scolding people. That's what happens here. And... Uh, I'm so glad we're not reading of this and think, well, I have no idea what he's talking about because he never got to it. He does get to it. Chapter 7 is all about the priestly ministry of Melchizedek. So the Lord has had great mercy on us. Let's take a sigh of relief. Chapter 7 is coming. We don't miss out. But we don't get there without first getting scolded. That's what's happening here. Make no mistake, that's what this is. This is a scolding from the writer to the original recipients. You're sluggish in the ears. That's your condition. And in understanding this, it's not something that these people were born with. It's not something outside of their control. Many times people with stunted growth, it was something they were born with, an issue physically that is now only becoming apparent uh, since their birth. But for these, no. It's not because... You're intellectually deficient. You weren't given enough brain cells. You weren't given enough. That's the problem. No, 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 no. You are at fault. You've acquired this condition all by yourself. And it means you have an inability to hear spiritual truth. It's all on you. It's all a direct result of your spiritual lethargy. Just think about the number of churches where you couldn't even say what I've said. But that's what the Bible says. And as we go through the Scripture, the Bible has much to say. And we're not 
uh, I, I remember hearing of one guy who was uh, preaching, and uh, he was preaching, and the lecturer who was teaching how to preach was, was there, and he preached about hell, and the lecturer didn't believe in hell. And um, so afterwards, the lecturer said to the man, you need to be much more positive. That was a very negative message. And so the student took it to heart, and the next week he was preaching, and happened to be that the same lecturer was there in the audience once again. And so he had the same message. It was a different place, and he had only got the one sermon. When you've only got one sermon, you have to have a traveling ministry. So he had traveled, and the same lecturer was there to hear him. And so knowing that he could see him on the fifth row, he said this, I've been told that when I preach about hell, I've got to be more positive. In fact, when I preach at all, I've got to be more positive. And let me tell you this, unless you believe in Jesus Christ, you are positively going to hell. <laughs> so this is a positive message. So this was not them at fault because of something in them that was born inherently in them. No, this was all their fault because of something called lethargy. You're lazy. You should be open. You should be receptive. Instead, you're unreceptive and closed. It's like a cork on a bottle. The writer is saying, I'd love to pour truth into you, but I can't. You can't receive it. That's the reason it's hard to explain. I'd love to tell you some stuff, some precious truth, some precious doctrine, uh, but I can't. I don't know if you can look back to your own conversion story if you've come to Christ and think about your new convert days when you were all ears. You couldn't get enough. Is that true of you? Perhaps it is. If you've been to Christ and you've come to Christ, if you've been converted to Him, can you remember the time when you devoured Scripture? You couldn't get enough. That was true of me as a teenager at age 14. I would spend all the allowance money I had to get hold of Bible teaching cassette tapes, which dates me. But it was not unusual for me to spend three or four hours a night after school devouring teaching. I just couldn't get enough. I wonder if that was true of you. Couldn't read the Bible enough. Couldn't know enough. Was that ever true of you? Can you remember a time when Scripture, when Bible truth was everything to you? The problem for many is that when that newness dies down, so does the listening. It's a point that Ken Hughes makes. When the newness dies down, so does the listening. May that, that not be true of you or me. Look in verse 11. For though by this time, we read, and here it's as if he's saying, look, I'm looking at your spiritual condition chart. You should be here but you are way back here. That by this time, what? You ought to be teachers. Here, I don't believe this is a reference to a teaching office in the church. It's simply referring to the ability to teach others in the doctrines uh, of the faith. By now, you should be able to teach younger converts the essential elements of the faith, but you can't. Instead, as we read on, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Notice the word again. It's actually very significant. They had heard the basics. 
but they were in need of hearing them again. You ever heard the phrase, use it or lose it? That's what's going on here. Some had lost it because of a lack of use. I remember quite some time back, we had a couple of Germans uh, visiting the church, and I made a big mistake. I told them that I'd learned German in high school. Uh, Here, if you're in Arizona, you're more likely to learn as a second language Spanish. Growing up in England, the nearest country was France, maybe Belgium, but you either were going to learn French or German, and so for a few years I learned French. Then at high school, I learned German for five years. And I made the mistake. I told them I had been at high school and had learned German. They said, oh, tell us some German. We'd love to hear German. We have not heard uh, German for two weeks. And I thought, well, all I can remember are kind of useless phrases. And they'd just heard me preach. This was now after the service. And they thought I was going to say something profound. And not a chance. And so um, I rattled off something that came to mind. Ich kann nicht ins Kino gehen. Ich bin nur 13 Jahre alt. Now, you might be impressed by that, but the Germans, not a, not a bit. In fact, they started laughing, then they started belly laughing, then they started holding themselves up and said the word dumb cough, which means stupid. <laughs> I knew it wasn't going well. What I actually said to them in German was, and here's the only phrase I could think of, I cannot go to the movie house, I'm only 13 years old. Now, it's true at the time, when I was learning German at age 13, it makes sense. But now, decades later, it's a useless phrase. Imagine being in Munich, Germany, and all you can say to people is, I cannot go to the movie house, I'm 13 years old. So, what's the point? Well, I had five years of German, but I lost it. I lost just about all of it through lack of use. I hadn't heard or spoken any German for around two decades, and I lost it because I didn't use it. So here's the principle we must grasp. Truth not only must be heard, it must be made a part of us and maintained, or else the knowledge we have can be lost. Keep your place in Hebrews. Let's go to Matthew. Let's uh, look at the words of Jesus on this. Matthew chapter 13. And these are strong words. We're going to have some strong words before we're done. Matthew chapter 13. Look with me. Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. And verse 11. And he answered them, To you, that's not to everybody, but the disciples, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. Isn't it interesting we find the word dull there? And with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. How true that is for us with access to the Word of God in our own tongue. Let's go back to the book of Hebrews. These are strong words from the lips of our Lord. And we pick up in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. I said that's significant. It is, because they'd heard it, but they now need to hear it again. What? The basics. Here's what we read. The basic principles of the oracles of God. The, pr- the first principles of the Word of God. In other words, the message is not that you just need to reread and hear chapter 1 in God's book. You need to go back to the alphabet. That's how shocking these words are. You need to rehear the alphabet. You need to go back to the ABCs. All right, we're in Hebrews, and let's keep reading. But let me warn you, the hits just keep coming. In fact... What's coming now is an all-out assault. Here's what we read. You need milk, not solid food. In other words, milk is the only diet you can handle, not the solid food of sound Christian doctrine. You're back on the bottle. That's the message. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled, in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. He's saying, you're babies, you're infants. By this time, you ought to be able to teach others, but you failed to advance, and in fact, you have relapsed back to babyhood. Something similar was happening in Corinth. Let me just read you 1 Corinthians 3. Paul writes this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? We could read more, but that's enough. Stunted growth was an issue in the early church. It was an issue for the recipients of the letter to the Hebrews here, and it's certainly true of Corinth. It was true then, it's an issue then, and it's an issue now. These were Christians in the book of Hebrews living by milk alone. You and I need to grasp this concept. There's no such thing as being spiritually static We're either moving forward or falling back. And the whole thrust of Hebrews is let's press on. Let's go on to maturity. Let's leave behind the elementary things and press on. There's no going back. There's nothing to go back to. Here's how we know there's no such thing as being spiritually static. As we read on in the verse, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. In other words, you're babies, you're still babies, you've relapsed into babyhood, and it's evidenced by you being unskilled 
in the word of righteousness. There's been a lot of thought, a lot of people expressing their ideas regarding this concept of righteousness. What is it? Is it ethical or moral righteousness that's in view? Is it moral conduct? They don't know enough about righteousness, the way we should behave. Or is it the doctrine of righteousness? Contrasted with self-righteousness, the only righteousness that allows us to stand before God is what Martin Luther called an alien justitium, an alien righteousness, something that's outside of us, not something that inheres within us over time. It's a gift. It's the gift of righteousness, which is the perfect life of Christ. You see, Jesus not only died for us for our sin, he lived for us so that we might have his righteousness that fulfilled the law of God. So what is it? Is it moral righteousness or is it what we call imputed righteousness? Something given to us as a gift in the gospel as we believe in Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For in it, it being the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall live by faith. And Paul was writing, and Luther then understood that the righteousness that has been spoken of there is not the righteousness that God has simply within himself, of himself, but the righteousness he gives as a gift in the gospel, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ is made unto us righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us that we might become, finish it for me, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Other scriptures would attest to this gift of righteousness. Philippians 3.9, Titus 3.5, Galatians 2.16, Romans 3.21, on and on we could go. Righteousness, here's the message, has been achieved by a substitute who lived for us and died for us. And I believe, if you ask me, which one is it? I believe both are in view. They're not opposed to each other. They're not enemies of each other. We must understand how we stand before God, and it's based not on our works, but the works of Jesus Christ. It's been well said. We are saved by works, just none of them ours. All of them his. What he did for us. We stand because of the person and the work of Jesus in him, in his righteousness. Praise the Lord. I believe both are in view. Righteousness morally and righteousness by imputation as a gift of God's grace. They're not opposed to each other. It's talking then about orthodoxy, right doctrine. You might not have heard this next word, orthopraxy. You ever heard that? It means right conduct. And these are not enemies, they're friends. In fact, I believe we must get our doctrine right if we're going to then live right. That's what Paul does in Romans. He spends 11 chapters so that we might get our doctrine right, and then he says, therefore, now, I beseech you, in view of the mercies of God, present your bodies. He gets to how we should live, but he starts with orthodoxy, right doctrine, and we must get those things right. 
Not every Christian is advanced in their knowledge. It's interesting to me when uh, I ask some people, you know, well, who's your favorite preacher? And uh, they give the same names I, uh, I hear often, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, and then they throw something in sometimes. I think, what? They say, Joel Osteen. Or they, they say someone else, and I think, whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, uh, whoa. Um, I don't think you've really heard Sproul then. I don't think you've really heard MacArthur. Because they're preaching different things and different gospels. I was reading of uh, an evangelist in India who was great with personal evangelism, and he visited a store. If I remember correctly, it was a watch store. And he noticed that behind the counter, he could see Joel Osteen on the television over there in India. He has a far reach. And uh, the, the man said, the evangelist, uh, oh, oh, are you a Christian? He says, I don't know. He said, uh, well, you're watching Joel Osteen. Oh, I watch him every day. He's inspiring. The first 30 minutes of my day, I'm watching Joel Osteen, and I've been watching him for two years. And so this man shared the gospel. He said, well, let me just share the gospel. Jesus lived this sinless life and died on the cross. He says, what? He died on the cross? And he rose again from the dead on the third day. What? He had been listening to Joel Austin for two years, never heard about the cross, never heard about the resurrection. It's not Christian, folks. Moving right along. So who's your favorite preachers? Don't tell me. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> so what's the remedy to all this? If we're, if we're really hearing Mr. Sproul, Mr. MacArthur, and we're feeding on some good teaching, and I'm sure you know some, some great Bible teachers that the Lord has blessed in our day, we're going to be growing in the faith. We're going to be knowing something. But if not, what's the remedy? And the remedy is get training. And that's where the writer takes us. He talks about having athletic zeal, and the fact is we need to have our faculties trained by patience. He says, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. And the wording here speaks of athletic training by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And again, I believe what's in view here is a doctrinal as well as a, a moral understanding of righteousness. One of these things is not like the other. And you'll be able to understand that's not good teaching. That's not good. Why? Because you're feeding yourself on the right thing. And so you can notice that which is not good and not helpful. Let me read something to you. F.R. Weber, in his massive three-volume, A History of Preaching in Britain and America, recalls for us some uh, byproducts, curious byproducts of the awakening, the Great Awakening, and it resulted in a sudden interest in shorthand. What do I mean by that? Men and women wanted to learn shorthand so that they could write down the sermons that they were hearing. Before, they'd been passive about the sermons. They might even have fell asleep or been trying to stay awake. But now, when God had thundered in their soul, they now wanted to capture everything. 
According to Weber, here's a quote, men and women studied shorthand in order that they might take down the sermons that were stirring the English-speaking countries. This had happened once before in Scotland and it made its appearance once more in all countries where the influence of the awakening was felt. It was not at all unusual to see men with a portable inkwell strapped about them and a quill pen thrust over an ear hastening to join the throng assembling on the village green. They were ready. They wanted to capture it all. You see, there's a responsibility of the preacher. There's a responsibility on the preacher, and that's often stressed. I would say rightly so. Less so stressed is the responsibility of the hearer. How the preacher prepares in his prayer closet, in his study, as he applies the message to himself first, and finally as he preaches. All of that is worship. All of it should be the overflow of a heart in love with Christ. But how the hearer listens, how the hearer applies the word, is all part of his worship as well. What you do with the sermon is part of your worship. The Puritan Richard Baxter uh, wrote in her, his book, Directions for Profitably Hearing the Word Preached, gives some very good advice for us. And let me quote him. Make it your work with diligence to apply the word as you are hearing it. Cast not all upon the minister as those that will go no further than they are carried as by force. You have work to do as well as the preacher and should all the time be as busy as he. You must open your mouths and digest it for another cannot digest it for you. Therefore, be all the while at work and abhor an idle heart in hearing as well as an idle minister. Strong stuff. Kent Hughes comments on this. As we hear God's word, we ought to keep our Bible open and follow the textual argument. Look up the references mentioned. Take notes, identify the theme, list the subpoints and applications, and ask God to help us see exactly where He wants us to apply the scriptures being preached. Are we sluggish in the ears? He writes. If so, we are self condemned to perpetual infancy. So, what's the remedy? Constant practice. That's true in German, it's true in spiritual realities as well. When we're talking about the eating of food, which is what is involved here, solid food, verse 14, it takes knowledge to understand what is good food and what is not. That's maturity. A little baby does not read food labels, but mothers and fathers do and should. Not everything that purports to be good is good. As you read the labels, you think there's how much of what in it? Whoa, that's not good. Or else you read and you think, no, this is good. This is safe. This is healthy. And that's where the writer wants us to go. We understand what good is and we understand what evil is. That's maturity. So we think about this. What's the application for us? Many scriptures come to mind. I cannot help but think of Psalm 1. Oh, the blessedness is, it's a plural form, blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. This is not legalism. This is delight. And on his law, he meditates every four months. No, day and night. He, I would say not everybody else, he is like a, a tree planted by streams of water. There it speaks of God's sovereignty because trees don't plant themselves. God plants us in Christ. God brings us into the kingdom. He opens up our eyes. He plants us. But he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. How can we make application for us? Well, Hebrews 5, 11, 14 has much to say to us and I would say one of the things we can do is plug in to the teaching ministry of the local church. If you're here at King's Church, the adult Sunday school, I mean, just invite you, come and as it is. What is adult Sunday school? Well, it's Sunday school for adults. And you come and you learn. Plug into the midweek teaching. If it's out online, plug in, listen, take notes, look up the scriptures. You see, we're responsible to plug in. We're responsible to avail ourselves. If you are at King's Church for three months, three years, or longer than that, I believe all of us, I will give an account of my pastoring of you, but you'll give an account for whether or not you partook of the ministry of the church and grew so that you're not liable to the same scolding that these Hebrews did. Scripture says this, Luke 12, 48, Jesus said, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. I don't want this message to be legalistic. I don't want you to be under the, under the burden of, of any kind of false uh, incrimination that the enemy might use against you. But I do believe we've got this scripture because the Holy Spirit wants to stir us up. He wants to challenge us and say, you can do better, you can grow in maturity, you can become more like Christ. There are means of grace available to you. Take notes, study the scriptures, don't be lazy, don't be sluggish. And no sound doctrine. I want to ask you, do you have a thirst? Well, you're in you're here at King's Church, so it's obvious. You, you have a thirst for, hopefully, sound doctrine. I want to know the truth. Ask yourself, in all you hear, this question. As I prayed about how we can make application for this, I first of all want to say, don't be under a legalistic burden. But I then want to say, in all you hear, ask yourself, could I teach this? Do I know this enough that I could teach someone else? That's where the writer wants to get his re the recipients of this letter. You ought to be teaching others. Could I teach that? You know this, I'm sure. You don't really know a thing until you have to teach it. You might think, I know mathematics. Okay, get your kids in front of you and, and teach trigonometry. Go, go try that. You've got to know it. In fact... The greater that you know it, the more simple you are able to make it. If you're confused, they'll be confused. If there's a mist in the pulpit, there'll be a fog in the pew. 
And so my attention is, I need to grasp this concept so well that I can teach it. I think it would be good for all of us to have that concept. If you were given the charge, all right, everything you hear, whether it's Sunday, Wednesday, or any Bible teaching, it's upon me to teach this mentally. I'm making that thought happen in my head. Tomorrow, I'm going to teach this for 15 minutes. Could you do it? Rather than being lazy, make that your goal. Challenge yourself. I had to, if I had to teach this tomorrow myself, could I do it? Have I grasped the concepts sufficiently to be able to teach it? And that, indeed, is the pathway to maturity. Look at verse 14. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. There's no avoiding it. Constant practice to distinguish good from evil. As we continue on, we're not going to go too far in this, but chapter 6, verse 1, starts with the word therefore. And it is a mighty important therefore. Therefore is a linking word. Linking what follows with what has gone before. In other words, on the basis of this, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Oh, people have enough doctrine. No, we've actually got way too much false doctrine. And we need to be taught the faith. And guess what? We need to continually hear it. Or like my German, we lose it. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again, see the word again, a foundation of, and then he lists six doctrines, repentance from dead works, one, of faith toward God, two, three, and of instruction about washings, four, the laying on of hands, five, the resurrection of the dead, six, an eternal judgment. He lists six foundational doctrines and he says, let's leave these. In other words, let's get this under the hood, so to speak. Let's have them before us. Let us be very, very intimate in knowledge about them and move on from there. And verse 3, and this we do, will do if God permits. Notice verse 3. This we will do if God permits. And the idea here is of a building. And there's an inspector who's looking at the foundations. And before permission is given to allow for further building, for the bricks to come in on top of the foundations, and then windows, and then eventually doors, and then the roof system, before that can all go ahead, the inspector is looking at the foundations to make sure that all is in place so that he can then grant a permit so that more building can take place. And the message is this. God is the inspector of our foundations in the sense of our doctrinal foundations. And he's looking to see if we have these six doctrines in place. Do you know them? Could you teach them? That's a challenge to us as Christians. Thankfully, we're at King's Church. We will go through these doctrines in more detail. But hear the message here. God doesn't have to grant the permit. He only does so on the condition that the foundation is there in place. That makes me want to say, okay, teach me that. Teach me that. I want to know. I want God to build something. I want to 
I want to be built in God to be a house that's able to stand in the storm. Well, God is issuing permits, but only upon inspection. How are you doing? That's the pathway to maturity. Have I grasped the content so I can teach it? And that's where the writer takes us in chapter 6. If we're not there, the good news is we haven't arrived, none of us have, but hopefully we've left. And we've got some things under our belt. We know what repentance is. Do you know? That was a big issue at the Reformation. What is genuine repentance? We'll talk about that. What is faith? What are the components of saving faith? There are three components. Do we know that? Baptism. Whoa, that's a subject. Washings, as it says in the ESV. Laying on of hands. What's all about? All that about commissioning of elders and all kinds of things that we see in Scripture. Resurrection of the dead. Do we know what happens after death? Could you teach that? Could you teach 15 minutes of that tonight? How about eternal judgment? Are you fuzzy about that? Holy Spirit says, I want you to know these things. I want you to grasp content. In other words, grow up, master the basics of the faith. Grow into adulthood. Grow into maturity. Be established in gospel truth so you can teach others rather than having to hear it all again because of spiritual lethargy. Let not that be true of you. Let not that be true of me. Let's not be sluggish in the ears. Let me say this. What a blessing a spiritually mature Christian is to his home, to his family, to his friends, in the church. I remember hearing of one church where they had uh, four elders, but the spiritual condition of the men was such that visitors often went up to people who'd only been there a couple of years and were not elders at all, but they would ask them, are you an elder here? Because they just exuded the knowledge of the word. They had applied themselves. Wouldn't it be wonderful if King's Church was filled with men like that, women like that, who knew the truth and could help others also. That's my prayer. That's why I work at what I work at, that you might be sound in the faith. That's why I send out Saturday musings. Someone said to me, I don't know any other pastor that does that. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I, I want you to grow in your faith. And so I'm thinking, what on a Tuesday, what can I wait till Saturday to put in a little email to encourage someone about the basics of the faith, how to share their faith, what this truth is, what that truth is, what, why we do this in the service and why we don't. Are you availing yourself? Plug in. Listen with full attention. As we close, let's go to 1 Peter to the right. If you've got a physical Bible, it's to the right. If you're on a phone, that's not the case. 1 Peter chapter 2. <coughs> Look at verse 1 with me. We've quoted Paul, now we quote Peter. 1 Peter 2, so put away, verse 1, all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And here's the command. Here's the prescription. Here's something we're told to do. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it 
you may grow up into salvation. Now, it's not wrong for babies to desire milk. It's actually a very, very healthy thing. And this verse I've heard taught as, if you're a spiritual infant, desire milk. That's to miss the point of the entire text. That's not what it's teaching. It's not saying, if you're a baby, desire milk, desire growth. No. This is written to everybody. Everybody in the church, all the elect, as we read 1 Peter 1 and verse uh, 1. So it is. But this is saying this, no matter what your spiritual maturity is, Crave God's word the way a baby does. Look at the text. Like newborn infants. It's not saying you are that. But like them, long for, crave the spiritual milk, the pure spiritual milk. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the word of God. Let that be true of you, that we crave it. I've got to have it. Do you remember that as a new convert? I've got to have the scripture. I've got to have it. And on the way, grasp righteousness and apply Bible truth to every area of your life. Could you be woken up at two in the morning and someone says, tell me the gospel. I hope you're not saying, well, I've got a YouTube video I can recommend. I've got this on my shelf. I've got this DVD series from... 2004 and sit down with me but no you can you teach the gospel can you convey the facts of the gospel to people around you tell you what the enemy will hate it if you get to that point but the people around you will be so blessed how blessed are the ears of those who hear the gospel even through your lips studies have been made and it's not the great preacher on tv who reaches the people, although they have a certain percentage, but it's in the 2 or 3%, more than 85% of people that are reached with the gospel is because someone they knew shared the gospel with them. It's wonderful. God will use you with your personality. You think that's hard to believe. Listen, I've got, a, I've got an English accent in America, Look, you know, and I'm stuck with it. But God will use your personality and because God has worked in your life, your co-workers will see that this guy's for real. As you live out righteousness, you can speak of the gift of righteousness, pointing not to yourself, but to Jesus Christ. What is that wonderful gospel? The gospel is of God. God is the gospel. The Trinity is so loved this world. He made man in his image and man fell committed high treason against this holy God. And God, rather than throwing all out, sent his Son into the world. The second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one we now know him to be. And he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and died an atoning death for sinners on the cross. And three days later, rose again from the dead. Do you realize the news, the good news of the gospel is about Jesus who he is and what he's done. He rose from the dead, having fulfilled all the demands of the law and sins were laid on him on the cross and he died in our place and rose again from the dead 
is now at the place of all authority in the universe and anyone who repents and believes that good news is forgiven and given righteousness as a gift. Grasp that gospel. Apply it to every area of your life. And you'll mature, knowing that you don't advance from the gospel. Some people have the idea that the gospel is like this foundation and then you kind of forget it. Most of you that live in a house don't usually invite folk around and say, look, I've got some amazing pictures of our foundation. Once it's laid, you kind of forget about it. Some people have that idea with the gospel. Rather than that be your paradigm, the way you think about it, no, see it as the hub in the wheel. And all the spokes of your life come out from the gospel. You apply the gospel to your own life, to your marriage, to your family, to your children, to your workplace, to all your relationships, to the business world. Everything you do, you apply the truth of the gospel. We never advance beyond it. But be immersed in it, be saturated in it, and you'll be mature. And you'll know the difference between good and evil. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our great high priest. And thank you for this great, wonderful pause to realize we are responsible to learn, we are responsible to grow. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the scripture says. We would do so, that you might be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.